Welcome back to the Palview Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. My name is Trey Hinkle. I'm the lead pastor here in Palview Christian Church in beautiful Central Oregon. It's good to have you with us again. Um, we've been going through the book of Hebrews, and then we've taken a, a bit of a pause so that we could actually look at the basics that uh, were outlined by the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. A couple of weeks ago, we, we began this mini-series uh, by talking about repentance, and then last week was about faith, and that was the first part, and today's going to be about faith as well. Uh, next week, we'll talk about baptism, and then we will talk about the Holy Spirit and His work in our life, maybe for a couple of weeks, and then finally, e- eternal life, and then that will lead us up to um, Palm Sunday and, um, and Easter, I believe. Anyway, it's good to have you here with us. Uh, thank you for joining in. I want to start the podcast, though, with a question. What value does faith have? In other words, once someone comes to faith in Jesus, does that mean anything outside of, you know, getting out of hell for free and getting to be in heaven when we die? Is that all that faith is of value to us, or is there more value? Once I became a follower of Jesus— was there now any difference uh, about my life? Was there supposed to be a difference in my life? Should there be a different focus, by the way, uh, for example, for the way that I live than what I was living before I confessed faith? Th- those are the questions that really are important questions to ask. There was a man named Chuck Colson. Uh, he became well-known in the late 60s, early 70s. He was one of the men in the center of the Watergate scandal. A man man who admits the aftermath of that scandal actually became a born-again Christian. Now, after he became a Christian, he was convicted and then served seven months in prison for his part in the Watergate cover-up. But his conversion sparked a radical life change in him, and it led him to found a, a non-profit ministry called Prison Fellowship, And then three years later, it expanded into Prison Fellowship International. Now, Colson wrote a couple of books. One was called Born Again, but then he wrote a book called How Now Shall We Live? How Now Shall We Live? This is really the heart of what faith is, I I believe. See, once Chuck Colson came to faith, everything changed. It changed the, the entire course of his life, his purpose, his path, his priorities, You see, that shows us that faith in Jesus cannot just be something that we acknowledge, a truth that we say, yes, I believe in that truth. Faith is designed by God to have a profound effect on how we live. This is at the heart of Hebrews chapter 11 that we looked at briefly last week. This chapter, this hall of faith, as some people have called it, is one of those great passages that lifts up the example of people who came to truly know God, not just to know about him, but to know him, to love him, and then to put their full weight on who he is and his leading, to trust him to the extent that it caused them to surrender their will to his will, and then to live their life characterized by obedience to the leading of his spirit. Now, last week we looked at the example of Abel and Enoch, of Noah and Abraham, And that just took us through the first 16 verses of chapter 11. After verse 16, there are many more examples of people 
that are mentioned by the author of Hebrews uh, that are really truly heroes of the faith. Uh, people whose lives demonstrate what it means to have faith because they demonstrated that faith through their obedience. The author of Hebrews goes on to mention Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, uh, the patriarchs that we read of in Genesis. He mentions Moses and the profound change that happened in his life because of faith. He speaks of the faith shown by those who escaped Pharaoh by passing through the Red Sea and who surrounded the city of Jericho there in Canaan and who shouted God's praises as they got to see the protective walls come down. In Hebrews 11, verses 32 through 34, he then says, And what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised. They who shut up the mouth of lions and quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. And then the author of Hebrews concludes in verse 39 that these were all commended for their faith. Now, if you look at that, every one of those people that were mentioned, their faith was evident. It was demonstrated by what they did. You, you see all of those verbs, conquered, administered, gained, shut, quenched, escaped. That should tell us something important about faith. That it's not merely just a, an acknowledgement uh, of a truth or an, an, an acknowledgement of a set of ideals or a particular reality. The, the fact is, is the way that the Bible writers describe it, faith always leads to action. Now, this is something that is picked up and then written about by the New Testament author, James. James's letter comes right after the book of Hebrews in our New Testament. In the early days of Christianity, though, some folks didn't know what to do with this letter that James wrote, because part of it seemed at first glance to say the opposite of what they had learned from the Apostle Paul, especially in regard to salvation. As you probably know, Paul taught that it is only by God's grace that we are saved, uh, so that no man may boast. In, in other words, the Apostle Paul said that if God had not given us grace, there would be nothing in any person who, there's nothing that any person could have done to earn their way back into a right relationship with God. Otherwise, someone could boast about how good they are. And that right there, that pride would negate even the reason that Jesus died on the cross. As you read the letter from James, it really could appear that James is saying that salvation actually is dependent upon what we do, man's work, which, if that were true, it would very much contradict Paul's teaching. However, if you actually sat down and really studied hard the context of what James is saying about faith and, and about works or actions, you'll see he's not really contradicting Paul at all. He's actually not saying that we earn salvation by doing good. Rather, he's getting deeper into, into the, uh, the way that things work out. He, he's connecting faith with what Paul and the author of Hebrews and Jesus himself all said about how faith is demonstrated, how it is lived out. And so whether it's Paul in Ephesians talking about good works, 
or whether it's the author of Hebrews talking about living in obedience, or whether it's Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talking about the fruit that is produced in our lives, it's all saying the same thing. Faith is connected to a demonstration of that faith through actions. I like how James puts it in James 2, verse 18. He says, you know, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. Notice the order. Faith comes, and then deeds come after, because those deeds will prove faith. James is not saying that deeds come first, and that leads us then to, to acquire faith. Rather, quite the opposite. Faith is there, and then deeds demonstrate that faith. That's the most important thing for us to see, is that faith can be observed. Faith can be demonstrated, and it is demonstrated by the way that we live. It is a living faith. It's demonstrated by what we do. This is why the author of Hebrews began chapter 11 in verse 1 by saying that faith is the certainty of things hoped for, a proof of things not seen. That's from the New American Standard. Faith is the proof, the evidence. It's what is laid out before the judge and the jury to show that something is true. So, if you were in a courtroom and you had to demonstrate your faith, how could you prove that it is true? Well, your faith is true if it does what God designed it to do. Which is, by the way, it, it was designed to foster a life transformation in every person of faith. So that they're no longer controlled by the sinful nature, which leads to eternal separation from God. And it leads them to being led by and walking with the Holy Spirit, which then leads to being born again into eternal life. Now, the rest of this message is going to focus on two illustrations that James then gives in chapter 2 by way of a follow-up to what he says about showing people his faith by what he does. I find it encouraging that the examples that he uses there are also mentioned by the author of Hebrews in chapter 11. We've already talked about one of them last week. We looked at Abraham, although we just looked at the first part of what Hebrews mentions about him. And then he introduces the second character from the Old Testament, which, again, so does the author of Hebrews, a woman, a Canaanite woman, a sinful Canaanite woman, a Canaanite prostitute, a gal named Rahab. Now, this is pretty powerful. Uh, James chooses some great pieces of evidence because you couldn't find two more different people than Abraham and Rahab. Abraham was a Hebrew. Rahab was a Canaanite. Abraham had a godly reputation. Rahab was known for her immorality. Abraham was called the friend of God. Rahab belonged to the people who were enemies of God. But there was something that Abraham and Rahab shared in common, and that was faith. So let's read from James chapter 2 verses 20 through 26. Let's see what he has to say about this. I, I will be reading for you out of the NIV um, uh, this week. No, normally it's the ESV, but today from the NIV, this is what James 2, 20 through 26 says. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did 
when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture then was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does, and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So, James first brings up Abraham and an incident that takes place later on in Abraham's life, one that's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19, where after fulfilling the promise to give Abraham a son through his barren wife, Sarah, God then asks Abraham, puts him to the test, asks him to sacrifice that child, Isaac, in an act of obedience. James says, wasn't Abraham considered righteous when he obeyed and offered up Isaac on the altar? Now, that's a rhetorical question. Of course he was considered righteous. But I I understand the way that James says this could be a bit confusing because, well, it seems like he said that uh, Abraham wasn't considered righteous until he did that. But God had already credited Abraham's righteousness account uh, seven chapters before when Abraham first believed God. See, the test with Isaac on the altar is found in Genesis 22. But when it says that God considered Abraham righteous because he believed God, that takes place in Genesis 15. So, people wonder, then, what's the deal for James to say that Abraham was considered righteous for what he did when he offered Isaac on the altar? Well, I believe this is simply a matter of showing that there is a pattern in Abraham's life, a pattern of trusting God, no matter where God was leading him. It began when God called Abraham decades earlier. It continued then as God made promises to Abraham to give him a land and a people and to bless all the nations of the world through his descendant, the Messiah. But then it was confirmed here in chapter 22 of Genesis once again. Here again it's confirmed as God provides proof to Abraham that his trust was sincere. This was a test, it says. God tested Abraham. But I don't believe that God tested him because God didn't know the condition of Abraham's heart. I personally believe that the test was for Abraham, so that Abraham could know for sure that his trust in God was sincere, no matter the circumstances. The, the real point, though, comes in the next verse in James chapter 2, verse 22. James's point is this. You see, in that example, you see that faith was active along with his works, that faith was completed by his works. Faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. Faith was completed by his works, because faith was what? It was active. You see that faith was active. See, this is a lesson on how true faith moves the heart to obey. True faith can be demonstrated by action, not mere belief. There in verse 19, James says that, even demons believe in God, but that doesn't lead to life change. It just reinforces their fear of what's in store for them when God renews all things. So, 
that's the example of Abraham. His faith was proved by what he was willing to do. So now what about this Rahab lady? Well, to me, Rahab's story is especially powerful again, because she was not the type of person that you would think of when you think of faith. I think James probably deliberately uses her and her story to make the greatest conceivable contrasts in people possible. Rahab's story is found in the Old Testament book of Joshua. God's people are prepared now to enter into the promised land, but they need to scope it out first. So Joshua sends spies into the land, just like Moses had 40 years prior, and he he wants them to check out the land, especially the city of Jericho. And for a reason that we're not told, the spies, as they enter into the city, they actually decide to hide out in the home of a prostitute, a lady named Rahab. Now, it just so happened that Rahab, like many other residents of Jericho, apparently, had heard and remembered the story of the Israelite people. She had heard of these Israelites, especially their powerful God who had delivered these Israelites from slavery in Egypt and had destroyed the armies of Pharaoh. That was very impressive. And you got to know that this was over 40 years prior to the spies entering Jericho. And, And yet the people of Jericho were still talking about that event. That's how powerful God was in showing all of the plagues and then rescuing his people out of Egypt and then destroying Pharaoh and his army. So, showing a great reverence for this powerful God that she had heard of and had remembered, Rahab now is willing to risk her life to protect these spies that had come from God. The spies had told her of God's plan to destroy Jericho, and she believed that God could be trusted to do what he promised to do. Now, I I know typically in our day and age, when we say we can trust God to be faithful to what he promises— that it's usually connected with something positive. In this case, it was actually connected to something bad that was going to happen to God's people. God was faithful to the promise to destroy Jericho, and Rahab believed that God could be trusted. So not only does Rahab decide to hide the spies in her home, she also then intentionally misdirects the Jericho authorities who were out looking for the spies. She sends them off in a wild goose chase and then aids in the spies' escape from the city. Now, all she asked for in return is that they would spare her life when the city was destroyed. She believed in God's power that much to know that the city was going to be destroyed. So she says, since I helped you, would you please spare my life? The spies agree to that. And then when Joshua and the people come in after God uh, makes the walls around Jericho tumble down, uh, Joshua makes good on that promise and saves Rahab. And not only that, but Rahab then becomes the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. She's actually in the genealogy of Jesus. Talk about transplant. That's pretty amazing. Talk about life transformation. The author of Hebrews in chapter 11, verse 31, says this about Rahab. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Once again, we see a word popping up here that a lot of times people just miss. Obedience. Obedience is once again brought up in the context of faith. I'm hoping that you're seeing why. See, for James... 
the reason why you connect obedience with faith is blatantly obvious. He sums it up in verse 26. For as the body, apart from the spirit, is dead, so also faith, apart from works, is dead. The relationship between faith and works, to James, is inseparable, like the relationship between the body and the spirit. Without the spirit, what happens to the body? Well, it dies. Without the spirit, the body is dead. In the same way, without actions, faith is dead. Such an existence brings no glory to God. If you say you have faith, but you don't actually live out uh, your life in obedience to God. That brings God no glory, and it bears no fruit in the person in question. See, ultimately, this is the kind of faith that the Bible calls all of us believers into. Not a mere acknowledgement of a truth. I mean, that's there, of course. But it's more than that. It's a conviction that will lead to a full trust. And when I talk about full trust, I mean you put your full weight on something. It leads to a full trust and a full obedience. Like the old hymn says, trust and obey. Trust and obey. Folks, this is biblical faith. As we conclude, I I just want to sum up by saying this. I I read this last week, uh, an amazing illustration of how faith and deeds, or works, or obedience, however you want to characterize it, how faith and obedience work together for our good and for the good of God's kingdom. Consider table salt. Table salt is one of those substances that is composed of just two elements, sodium and chloride. Now, interestingly enough, by itself, in large quantities, sodium can be very toxic. Chloride is derived from chlorine, which also, again, can be very poisonous and reactive and harmful to living organisms. And yet, when you bring these two elements together, sodium and chloride, you get something that is not only not poisonous, but is actually necessary for life. In the same way, in order to be substantive and effective, faith, again, a firm trust in the words and the ways of God, must be demonstrated and connected uh, by a practical obedience to the words and the ways of God. As Solomon tells us in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. The fact that there are paths being made straight implies that Solomon knows that when you trust in the Lord, it will lead you to move down the paths that he has set out for you. And those paths are straight. This is true faith. This is the work of God in our life. Have you ever wondered why Jesus called his disciples the salt of the earth? It's because faith and action connected, together, working together, will always make a difference on this earth for God's kingdom. When Jesus' disciples combine faith and action, this is when their lives are used by God for amazing things, for preserving, for flavoring, for leading people to quench their thirst in the source of living water that never dries up. Jesus, the Messiah. Psalm 139 Verses 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. 
what this tells me is that God has called us to believe that as a person of faith, we must be willing to lay open our hearts so that faith will lead us to follow God, to walk in his ways, to learn obedience. And so that will then lead us to eternal life. Now that's all that we needed to say about faith this week. Kind of a shorter sermon, but that's okay. Um, May God bless you as you seek to uh, figure out how faith needs to be demonstrated in your life. I want to thank you for tuning in. I want to thank uh, Lisa Welly, my executive producer, for getting this uh, podcast up on the platforms. Uh, Thank you to Steve uh, Pittman, our tech guru here at Powell Butte Christian Church. If you're ever in our area on a weekend, we'd love for you to come and join us uh, for worship, either at 8.30 or 10.30 or 11.30 on a Sunday morning. All right, until next week, we will talk to you later.